new series today, Unsung Heroes. During this series, each week we are going to look at some true heroes of the faith that maybe don't get the airtime as some of the others in the Bible. Think about this. Most folks, whether Christian or not, could likely name 10 people, 10 heroes of the Bible. I mean, you got the first ones again. You got Jesus, right? And then, I mean, depending on how much you want to bend the rules, you could say like Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit. That's three and one. So is that one? Is that three? We've been wondering that question all along. It's the mystery of the faith. We have a whole thing about the Trinity. If you have questions about it, I'd love to talk to you. We can sit in that mystery together. But you got Jesus. You know, you got Noah. You got Abraham. You got, you can, you, you can go to the New Testament and like, well, there, there's Paul, there's, there's Peter, and there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You just start naming different books of the Bible, hoping they're heroic. You say Job, and then you're, you're like, yeah, he's good. You say Jonah, and you're like, well... God worked in mighty ways through Jonah, so okay. And, uh, and then you remember, well, there's a lot of John. So there's John, and then the other John, and then that other John, and there's the first, second, and third John, but I think that's only one John, but there's this other John, and there's a Mary and a Mary and a Mary, and you're at 10 at least, right? You can get to 10 pretty, pretty quickly. But God doesn't just work in and through the well-known or the most popular heroes, No, indeed, all throughout history, he works through a wide variety of folks. He even worked through a donkey, if you remember that story. Okay, he's worked through a wide variety of folks. And most in the Bible, you could say, are actually unsung. Most in our lives, heroes, you could say, are often unsung. But what we will see is that most of these heroes we look at, these unsung heroes, They operate in the background. They're often in the shadow of giants, some of these well-known heroes. They're ordinary folks who didn't live in the spotlight. No, God worked in and through their acts of faithfulness to accomplish his very good purposes. At the heart of this series, it's not a celebration of the accolades of humans, but rather a celebration of God's enduring and surprising faithfulness as displayed throughout his children for all the ages. So today, we're looking at an unsung hero named Ebed Melech. Let's say that. It starts with E, Bed, Me, Lech. Ebed Melech. EB for short, if you want. Ask 10 folks on the street, who is Ebed Melech? And they'll say, bless you. <laughs> As ten folks here, who, who is he bed me like? Well, sounds like a, a biblical dude, but maybe I'm not so sure. He's a little bit unsung. So to discuss Ebed-Melech, we first have to talk about the other hero that he's kind of connected to, or almost in the shadow of, the one that he ultimately helps, and that is Jeremiah. You know Jeremiah, he was a prophet of God, tasked with warning the people of God that Jerusalem would be destroyed. His message was rejected over and over and over and over again. He was arrested. He was charged with being a traitor. He was beaten. He was then released for a time. But Jeremiah, despite his unpopularity, did not change 
his message, his God-given message. He continued to rebuke the people, call on them to repent, to turn from their continual disobedience, to flee for their lives because their destruction was coming. So we're going to read from Jeremiah chapter 38. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 together. Invited to turn with me. It will also be on the screen. And we're going to start with the first six verses. Hear for now from the true word of the Lord. Now Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Peshor, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Peshor, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. This is what he was saying. Thus says the Lord. He who stays in this city, that is Jerusalem, who stays in this city shall die by the sword, shall die by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given to the hands of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the officials, they said to the king, Let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are, who are left in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man's not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he's in your hands. The king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah, they cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. There was no water in the cistern, but only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. Okay, let's break some of this down. So all these officials, not only do they have names that are hard to pronounce, their father's names are also hard to pronounce. (laughs) And they also all opposed and denied Jeremiah's message. You see how they twist the truth of what Jeremiah was communicating to them. They show this level of hubris that they don't even consider Jeremiah's words at all. They are hardened to that. They don't want to hear this message. They do not want to think about this message. They don't want to believe this message. And by doing so, we know a prophet's words are God's words. For thus says the Lord. They even go as far as to say, Jeremiah is saying all this not because he cares about these people, but he wants to cause them harm. The very thing they end up doing for their people by not listening to Jeremiah. Jeremiah cannot win with these folks who simply will not listen to him and his words that come from God. In their power, in their greed, they thought it impossible to lose to the Babylonians. Flee our lands, our property, all our stuff? No way. Not a chance. You see, then... They say, just put him to death already. Be done with this nagging Jeremiah. It reminds me of in your, when, when you are driving in your car and you notice your check engine light on. You're like, oh no, that's not good. But it's probably nothing. 
but you're driving, you realize that light's kind of bright. It's kind of distracting. It's not safe to drive with that bright light in your eyes all the time. So you make an appointment. You take it in the shop, but you instruct them, I don't want to know what's wrong. I just want you to turn that light off. Right? Yeah, because that's the safe move there. Let's get rid of the mild irritation in the short term, but not touch the harm, the bigger problems, the things that will ultimately lead to pain, to problems, in Jeremiah's case, to death, to destruction, to enslavement. They wanted to get rid of Jeremiah, but they still have to deal with God's judgment. Now we see King Zedekiah. He's not a great king. Let's just get that out of the way. He's not a great king. He not only has already rebuked Jeremiah's message, if you read Jeremiah, the book of it, he believes false prophets in his place. He has kind of forsaken the one true God for other false gods. And at this point in his reign, Zedekiah, he, he changes and sways his opinion based on whoever has the loudest voice. If you've ever been in a meeting or a group project where the one with the loudest voice is the, the way it goes, that's frustrating, isn't it? Yes. It's a time for leadership, and yet Zedekiah is not doing that. In the chapter before this, in fact, Jeremiah was invited by Zedekiah. Come on into the courts. Zedekiah was hoping for some good news. He did not receive good news. He received the same news. Jeremiah continues to say. But at that point, at least he, he, he fed and protected Jeremiah that one time. He, he listened. He didn't receive, but he didn't cast away. This time, however, you can tell he's just weary. He, ha- he has no, he, he has, he, he can't, he can't make up his own mind. So he just responds to the officials by saying, he's in your hands. I can do nothing against you. What kind of king can do nothing against their officials? That's not how it works. But he can do nothing against his officials. Kind of reminds me of the whole, I wash my hands, wipe my hands clean of this. That may be a little New Testament echo there for you all. Zedekiah could not decide between public opinion and God's will. And in the real deep stress of his situation, he had where he should turn to his convictions. He should turn to the one who directs and guides his life. He doesn't because he doesn't know his own convictions or he doesn't have convictions. And as such, he didn't know what to do or who to listen to leads us to consider ourselves for a moment. Do we know our convictions? Do we have heart-level convictions, a strong sense of our foundation, of our faith, of our belief in our one true God? And do we live out of those convictions? We'll soon learn that our unsung hero of the day, he lives in stark contrast to the king, where Ebed Milak, he has a heartfelt conviction. And he seeks to live out of them no matter what the cost. But the king here, he doesn't know his convictions or he has them grounded in in the wrong stuff. So he lives in fear of others. And he hands Jeremiah over to the officials to do with him whatever they want. So what they wanted to do, they throw him into the king's son's cistern. Now they've already spoken a desire. They want to kill him. And this was the means they were going about. They didn't throw him in the cistern for his imprisonment. They had the intention of him dying in that cistern. 
what is a cistern? We don't, we don't really talk about those a lot these days. So a cistern, it's a large hole dug in the ground. It's very unlike a hobbit hole, okay? It is not nice, warm, and cozy with a fireplace and freshly baked bread. No, a cistern is a hole that is usually dug in the bedrock designed to store rainwater. It's different from a well, which uh, taps into underground water source. This one was primarily meant to collect and store rainwater, often over a series, uh, a, a long period of time. Uh, it, it only rains really in the Middle East regularly enough uh, in the winter months. And so they would, they would line these cisterns. They would coat them with a lime plaster. It's actually a pretty amazing uh, a kind of invention or discovery they came up with to solve this problem. They would line it with a lime plaster in that time. And so a well-maintained cistern, it would hold water for a relatively long period of time, and it would remain relatively clean. That does not seem to be the case with this cistern, however. It's muddy. It's so muddy that when, when he's thrown into it, he sinks into it. It's more than just an inch layer. You don't sink in one inch. You sink in several inches of mud. There's no water in there. It's just mud. Meaning Jeremiah, he's trapped in a place with no food because they had no food in the city, and they had no usable water. He was in every way in a broken cistern. Now surely the king's son could have afforded to fix a cistern. This was not a happenstance thing. They chose this cistern for a reason. Now it doesn't specify specifically why, but there are some things we can wonder about together. For instance, I wonder, and I believe, this is my own belief, that these officials were trying to have Jeremiah choke on his own words. See, back in Jeremiah 2, God, through Jeremiah, gives the people a rebuke. And he says this, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, who is the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's the words of God. And in this rebuke, he's calling his people out. He's saying, hey, you are being extremely foolish because you're no longer devoted to me. I am the living water. I am the source of life. I can provide for you. I can give you what you need. But no, you've gone and you have dug a cistern and not a good one, a broken one of idolatry, of immorality, hoping that the pleasures and comforts of these sins could satisfy your needs. But just like a broken cistern cannot hold water, an idol can never satisfy any true need. No, a broken cistern, it brings nothing but death and decay and mud and rot and ruin. Just as the idols of these Israelites, just as the idols of this day and age. So I wonder, and I believe, the officials threw Jeremiah into an actual broken cistern as a way to show their complete defiance of God. Huh, we don't need you. We'll show you a broken cistern. And we consider ourselves again, are there any broken cisterns in our lives where we're seeking to fill our life with these things that cannot be filled outside of God? Are there these idols in our lives, these things that, these appetites that we crave of all kinds, these, these ambitions that we hold of all kinds? 
where we're seeking to be filled and, and we think they can satisfy us. We believe the lie that they can satisfy us, but all they do is bring rot into our lives and ruin into our lives, and they bring nothing but death and decay, and that's what we choose instead of the streams of living water that are readily available to us. Now, Jeremiah, though he is sinking in the broken cistern, he had placed his faith and trust in God, in the living water. But in this particular moment, he needed a little help. <laughs> Let's see how God provides for Jeremiah while he is in the pit. It seems like a job for a hero. Should have told the tech team to have like Superman's theme song play or something. Would have been a good moment. Just imagine in your head. Let's pick up from verse 7 through 13. When Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king, he was sitting at the Benjamin gate. That's, uh, that's where the king would often do business, kind of uh, hear the people and respond to, you know, uh, issues going on um, uh, in the city and whatnot. So he was at Benjamin gate doing some of his kingly duties. When he heard he was at the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, my lord, the king, these men, they've done evil, not just wrongdoing. They've done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern. He will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded, almost as if responding to someone speaking from deep conviction, the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, take 30 men with you from there. Lift Jeremiah, the prophet, out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him. He went to the house of the king, to a wardrobe in the storehouse. He took from there old rags and worn-out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Put the rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. So Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. What God's true word here tells us is that our unsung hero has entered the scene. Ebed-Melech was a servant, and he was a eunuch. He did not hold a position with any power or prestige. He worked in the service industry, and he had a terrible boss. Anyone relate? <laughs> Several of us have done that or have, are doing that. His name even, Ebed-Melech. Translated, it means the servant of the king. What that tells us is I'm guessing his mom didn't call him servant of the king. This is likely a title given to him. He doesn't, we don't even know his God-given name. But we know that God knows him. Furthermore, he's a eunuch. He's also an Ethiopian in this context, he is an outsider. He's a stranger. He's an outcast of the people of Israel. In this context, you could say to the world, he was a nobody. Good news today, friends. To God, nobody is a nobody. What we do know about him, Ebed-Melech, he trusts in the Lord. We read that in Jeremiah 39, 18. Uh, 
yeah, 39, 19. And he was willing to do anything to serve him, including going against the king. Let's look at four characteristics, heroic characteristics that Ebed-Melech holds that make him a hero in this way. The first is this. It's a heroic characteristic. He was bold and courageous in the face of evil. The same men who hated Jeremiah, because of his actions here, would label him a traitor. It's also evident these men, these officials, hold significant sway for the king does their bidding. And so now he would be labeled a traitor as well, have all these enemies. Not only that, he had no clue how the king was going to respond to him when he went to talk about the evil done to Jeremiah. Generally speaking, you don't question a king. That usually doesn't go well, especially one who's proven to be unstable, such as Zedekiah. If the king did not approve of his request, Ebed-Melech could have been executed on the spot or at least thrown into that cistern right along Jeremiah. Where in our lives do we need a bit of this heroic boldness and courage? Where, where, what unstable kings or powers or influences are present in our lives that are standing between us and what God has called us to do? What is standing in the way of us standing and serving the one true king? Where do we need some of that God-given boldness and courage? The beauty is that if God calls you to it, he will see you through it. He will equip you for it. His spirit will be present with you and guide you every step. We may be strong and courageous, for the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. Now, Ebed-Melech, he was bold and courageous in the face of evil. What else was he? He cared about others despite his own struggles. Okay? He was a servant. He was a eunuch. He was an outsider. He, he served an unstable king during a time when Babylon hung heavily as a threat on Jerusalem. A prophet of the God he trusts is already saying, y'all about to be destroyed, but your king's not getting you out of there. He had a lot of his own struggles and a lot of his own concerns that he was carrying. And yet, he was not so consumed by his own trials that he could not see and feel Jeremiah's plight. Do we ever allow ourselves to get caught in our own self-made cisterns of struggle where we feel we're trapped and we also cannot help others in theirs? Is there a way that, that, that we can remember that, that God meets us in our struggle and while our struggles and trials are very real and very challenging, that in the same moment we can struggle while also love and care for others in different balances and different ways throughout our lives. May we never forsake our care and concern to serve God and serve others because we only can see our own struggle. May we trust that God can see it all and can orchestrate it all. Next, Ebed-Melech's conviction led him to action. True conviction often will lead to action. If it doesn't lead to action, we have to question and wonder, is it an actual conviction? See, it would have been easy for Ebed-Melech to have compassion, but feel helpless. And yet, he was not. He did not care from a distance. He went and came close. He did not wait around for someone else to come and save the day. He took the problem personally and did what he could to solve it. 
Do our own concerns lead us to action? Or do we allow ourselves to stop and stay in inaction? Finally, his compassion. He was compassionate in his service. I love this about Ebed-Melech. He wanted Jeremiah out of that pit quickly, but he also knew he needed to act carefully. You see, there's no, when we read this, it's easy to think they just very gently, come on, Jeremiah, okay, now we're going to lower you into this pit all gently, all that. I highly doubt these people who wanted to kill him were gentle with Jeremiah when they lowered him into this muddy cistern. No. He even said they were evil in all that they did to Jeremiah when they threw him in the cistern, meaning there's likely more than him just going in the cistern. Okay, he was hurting, he was battered, he bruised, but what did he do? He went in above and beyond. He went to get the rags and the cloths and the ropes. And then when he goes to that well, he doesn't throw them down to him. They lower them gently down to him on ropes so that he may then take, instead of mud-soaked cloths to put under his arms to be hoisted up, clean cloths to put under his arms to hoist him up gently. He has intentionality, compassion, and thoughtfulness throughout all of these lengths he went to to save and rescue Jeremiah. So not only did he challenge the king, risk his own life, risk his station, he rescued him from the cistern and empathized and felt Jeremiah's pain. He went above and beyond the call to care well for Jeremiah and his helplessness, which allowed Jeremiah to then continue his all-important ministry and work to the nation. It reminds me of this quote by Philip Brooks. This is the same pastor that wrote the the, uh, well-loved Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He once said this, Duty makes us do things well, but love makes us do them beautifully. I dare say Ebed-Melech did this beautifully. He did this beautifully which is such a, a, a beautiful encouragement for all of us. Do we do things, do we serve God out of obligation or out of love? We can serve out of obligation. We are obligated to serve. But on an even deeper, truer level, we're called to serve because of love. We're called to love because he loved us first. We're called to love because he loves us when we did nothing to deserve it. And when we serve and we love, it is beautiful. It glorifies and honors God. And it's not a love for our boss or our work or, 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 or the things we do or even necessarily the people that we're serving. It's the God we serve. It's that love. Ibad Milak shows us that God never forgets his children, nor does he forget what we do for him. Later on in Jeremiah 39, we see this. This is the last time he bed me Lex mentioned. Verses 15 through 18. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go, say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good. They shall be accomplished before you on that day. But... He begged me like, I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord. And you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. 
For I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war. Why? Because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. The Lord never forgets his children. He didn't forget Jeremiah in that cistern. He didn't forget Ebed-Melech when Jerusalem was destroyed. To God, nobody is a nobody. All he asks is us to put our faith and trust in him. And he will do the heavy lifting. You are not a nobody. No matter what anyone said, maybe that mean person back in fourth grade wounded you and you've carried that with you for 60 years. You are not a nobody. No, sir, God has created you. He has crafted you as his own masterpiece designed for heroic and faithful work that he prepared for you in advance. God is faithful. And his faithfulness runs all throughout those who faithfully serve him. That's really what this series is all about. Seeing how God works in magnificent ways through his people in the Bible and in all of you. In the kingdom of God, being a hero, it's not all about these incredible feats against impossible odds. It's about faithfully serving the ultimate hero of the universe. Ebed-Melech didn't seek to be a hero. He simply sought to be faithful to what God had placed right in front of him. May we all take on these heroic characteristics and take heroic steps forward as we seek to be faithful to what God has placed right in front of each and every one of us. May it be so today. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you pray with me? Faithful God, we give you thanks and praise. We glorify your name for the good work that you have done and continue to do in and throughout this world. We thank you as we turn our hearts back many, many years to see your faithful servant, Ebed-Melech, the ways that you had placed him and gifted him and worked through him and in him to accomplish your good purposes. We are encouraged, God, that, that like the, the words of Paul, that chief of all sinners, and yet you still love us and work in and through us. So God, we pray that you will work in and through us here and now. We don't long to be a hero, God. We long to be faithful. And we long for your name to be made great. For your goodness overcomes all. Your faithfulness endures forever. We see it in our lives. We see it in the scriptures. We see it in our everyday moments. This universe, this world needs a hero, but what we already know is it has the hero. It has the victory. It's in and found only in you. We praise your name for that truth. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.